Good afternoon, and welcome to Caregiver Speak. This is Marjorie Pat Steinmetz, your host. And this afternoon, we have a wonderful guest, return guest. You all know about him who have listened to our programs, and that's Dr. John Guineri. I want to thank eCareDiary.com, the supporters of this show, and encourage you to go on their website, as well as my website, MyCaregivingCoach.com, and you're going to find a ton of resources for caregivers on those websites. So, again, we thank eCareDiary.com. This afternoon, Dr. Guineri and I are going to address the topic of, and this is a question, the topic is phrased as a question, how can caregivers realize quality of life, strength of purpose, and resiliency even in long-term chronic situations? Now, Dr. Guineri uh, has been our lead physician for this show for a number of years, and he is the uh, past president of the medical staff at Advent Health, and he's currently the director and chairman of healthcare and spirituality at Advent Health. And I'm jealous of this because I think he's got a terrific job to be able to engage caregivers and patients um, in their spirituality. So Dr. G, as he is affectionately known, is, as you all know, a passionate advocate for caregivers and their loved ones. So welcome, Dr. G. Well, thank you, Marjorie. It's a pleasure being with you and with your audience this, af- this afternoon as we continue to talk about caregivers and the challenges that they have. Yes. So um, in order to talk about, and you notice in the topic, we are focusing in on long-term chronic situations that caregivers face. This, of course, is one, if not the most stressful situation for caregivers, the ambiguity of not knowing and yet knowing the long term, but not knowing how long the situation, the chronic situation will last. So let me put this into some context, and then we'll have Dr. G uh, address it for us. So... The situation uh, that we're going to talk about is this loved one, the care partner, has a serious or chronic disease. It might be Alzheimer's. It might be some sort of cancer. Um, You know, you fill in the blanks. Parkinson's, it goes on and on. And because of this long term, the caregiver is typically, not always, but usually, Um, an imbalance in their lives in terms of body, mind, and spirit. You know, it's just happened because of the long-term nature. And our caregiver that Dr. G is going to talk about also feels totally consumed. You know, it's just getting to this person. You know, it's just overwhelming might be a a good way to describe it. Um, And the responsibility of the medical team is to be candid about the course of this illness, but adding to that overwhelming feeling the caregiver has may be that some physicians will often say nothing um, or, or be hesitant to define, well, here's when I think 
um, your loved one may eventually succumb or the illness may get worse. And so uh, that can also weigh very heavily and provide additional pressure on our caregivers. So, Dr. Guaneri, would you provide an example of a chronic situation? I know you have a current friend who is caring for a loved one who has Parkinson's and who fits into this scenario. Yeah, and this certainly is a chronic condition that is not only ongoing but progressively getting worse. It not only involves some of the physical signs and symptoms of Parkinsonian disease, but but also it can have a real component mentally as well. And he is entering into a, a Parkinson dementia, so it becomes even uh, compounded, if you will, for the caregiver. And uh, the caregiver, his wife, uh, is obviously a very loving individual. They've been married for 48 years. And she, the, this love is is almost, uh, if you could think about it, in a blinded situation. Well, I love him, and I'm going to take care of him. And there's no two ways about it. As she's evolved with this, uh, uh, she is not asked. In fact, she's almost shielding her children the children from the situation, uh, let alone not asking them for help. Um, she has rolled up her sleeves and, and thinks she could do it alone, uh, but already is having some symptoms of burnout as a caregiver as well. Uh, so she is evolving in that respect and um, uh, really needs uh, some objectivity brought to her. Yeah. In your experience, are most, and I know this is kind of a trick question, but I should say many, are many caregivers, even though they hear the words often, read them often, please ask for help, ask for help from your family, your children, your church, are many caregivers still reluctant to do that and, and exhibit this what this woman is exhibiting in terms of behavior. Uh, without a doubt, Marjorie, that's the case. And I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, uh, they feel it's it's uh, on them uh, to be thoroughly 100% involved with their loved one who is ill. Uh, but also, they are blinded to the fact that there are many resources in our community to help them out. Uh, and that combination of not being aware of the resources in their area and, and also thinking that they could do it alone usually leads to a spiral downhill. Mm. So let's, let me uh, add more detail to this situation, and let's assume um, that this caregiver gets some support that the primary care physician um, calls in a palliative care support uh, person, physician, um, as another strategy to help the primary care physician achieve the best quality of life for this caregiver. Um, tell us, what would that look like? Um, how would the physicians interact and work together to help this person? 
knowing she's resistant. As you and I know, we've spoken about palliative care and what I feel, and I think you agree with me, the importance in medicine today. Uh, unfortunately, there's a limited number of palliative care physicians in the United States, most of them working in hospitals, not really in the outpatient arena. And because of that, where you reference the primary care doc, be it a, a general practitioner or internal medicine doctor, uh, that uh, what we're realizing more and more, they really are going to have to be the first responders with palliative care. And when we say palliative care, as we've said before, that's dealing with getting the best quality of life for this patient that has a chronic uh, process, disease, if you will, that we know we're not going to be able to cure. But we also know we could help give that individual the best quality of life for whatever time they have left. And that may be a week, a month, a year, a a decade, you know, we're not sure a lot of times exactly when folks may pass on. Uh, but it's, it's really important if we can cure them, uh, let's, let's give them the best quality of life. So in this process, even though in this situation the <coughs> physician comes in to help the patient, I'm, what I hear you saying also is there's a, a reciprocal effect on the caregiver. And would a palliative care physician typically work with the caregiver and the, the loved one, the care partner, yeah. at the same time? How would that look or work? Yeah, what you just really described is really a, a team effort. So I think what the caregiver realizes right from the start in this type of embracing situation, that she's not alone, she's part of a team. Uh, that the uh, physician will help not only the patient in a very holistic sense, but also help her realizing that she has her limits or he has his limits as well. And, and in that respect, uh, the way palliative, and this is why I love palliative care, is they think more body, mind, spirit, which is what we are as human beings. And with that strategic approach, they go to those three areas in trying to help not only the quality of life for the patient, but also realizing that the caregiver is going to need some respite care, can't do it totally 24-7, uh, that they're going to need a little bit of an outlet, whether it's walking, exercising, um, going to a store, shopping, whatever it might be for them, that they would enjoy away uh, from the caregiving process. So the prescription, if you will, that a palliative care uh, physician would always think of is this three-pronged approach, body, mind, spirit. There would always be aspects of each one of these areas, how they might fit together for a specific individual person. Exactly. That is. And it is individualistic, as we all are. Yeah. There are things that you would prefer uh, versus what I would prefer in situations. Yeah. And, and that's the key uh, responsibility for the uh, physician, whether it's the first responder physician or whether it's the formal palliative care physician. Yeah. Would uh, once the this couple 
is in the care of this palliative care physician, how often, I know, again, this isn't like the same for everybody, but how often would the regular family physician check in or become involved with the, the strategy and, that's going on with this couple? thing I love about palliative care physicians, they're very embracing not only to the patient and their family, but also to the other physicians that are on the case. In this case, it would be the primary care physician, uh, be it for uh, a patient with a chronic disease, uh, again, as a, a general practitioner or family medicine, or a patient with cancer, that primary care doc may be an oncologist. Uh, but they would embrace them and they would work as a team to uh, fulfill that strategy in that holistic approach. I'm reading into this, but my sense is that I, if I were in this situation, I would be concerned, oh, am I being handed off? And am I going to see my primary care physician? Because people get attached, obviously, to their physician. Mm -hmm. So to know from the get-go, I'm not leaving you. I'm part of the team. It, you know, would be a comforting thing, I think. So I just wanted to put that in there for our audience, people listening, that it's not like, okay, now you're in the care of this next person, and so when do we get to see the primary care physician again. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Marjorie, because the way I look at it is that the primary care doc runs in parallel with the palliative care physician. Okay. And, and where there are things that the, the primary care doc could do, uh, certainly he does it in a coordinated way, communicating with the palliative care and vice versa. As the palliative care physician outlines the recommendations uh, for the patient and uh, the caregiver as well uh, in a body sense or in a mind sense mm -hmm. or even in a uh, spiritual direction since we know about 70 to 80 percent of people want their spirituality or religiosity addressed when they're under the duress of a challenging yeah. health issue. Yeah, And uh, to underscore that again, I know Dr. G has mentioned this um, in, in past show or shows that, and that is so significant, that 70 to 80% people who maybe never go to church, but when they're in a um, significant or maybe less significant health issue, people want some spirituality. Uh, maybe not religion, but they want to talk about their spirit, their souls, if you will, uh, right? Exactly, and it's really from their reference point. Not only, as you just implied, if they're a Christian, a Jewish, or of a Middle Eastern or Far Eastern religion, but also if they have a sense of spirituality that's less defined, uh, you help facilitate them to go in that direction because that's where their coping is, that's where they can find their peace uh, and strength as well. Yeah. So this is good news. I mean, as a caregiver former caregiver, and as a person who has read some about palliative care, this seems so perfect for our caregivers out there listening because it's an opportunity. I love how you talk about running in parallel with the caregiver and the loved one can both be treated to, if you will, this same 
paradigm of caring for body, mind, and spirit. They can both be, you know, on a train track, literally, um, working toward improving both of their qualities of life. Yeah. And this is good news. And the challenge for that team, be it the patient, the caregiver, the primary care doctor, palliative care physician, is good communication. And in today's world, that is a little bit of a challenge because of uh, how fast we move in a sociological world. Yeah, yeah. So um, what are things that successful caregivers pay attention to to have a high quality of life in body, mind, and spirit? Why, what might be some of the things that a primary care or a palliative care physician would recommend to a caregiver? What seem to be some of the most successful things that a caregiver can do? Well, I think it first starts with uh, balance. And balance is something in a very dynamic sense. But that balance is within, uh, again, a holistic structure uh, of body, mind, and spirit. Um, it also re re revolves around a community uh, that surrounds them. And, and the way I would put it is uh, I talk about three Fs. Mm -hmm. And that's where we talk about family, of course, friends, and, and, and faith, whatever that may mean to that particular uh, patient and their caregiver as well. Uh, and, and so... Uh, realizing that we all have limits and, and really pointing this out to the caregiver I think is uh, many times a revelation to the caregiver. Uh, but also they start to understand why they feel like they're spiraling down uh, is because they haven't uh, listened to that reality within themselves. Yeah. That level of sociability that is so important, it, and I can remember feeling this way as a caregiver, feeling like I didn't want to go out and be with people. I mean, I can understand and, and empathize, but you're saying that actually to get out with people, particularly family, friends, people you feel close with, is so critical. Even when you're feeling you should be doing the other thing, which is being alone with your loved ones. Right. Uh, absolutely, it's uh, it's it's almost where, as that caregiver, you have to. And, and I picked up on it when you were just saying what you did, and that is, it's almost where inertia sets in, where you say, "No, I'm hunkering down. This is it. I have no limits." And in reality, as you go forward, you realize the importance uh, of having folks around you, surrounding you. Uh, to help you in, in uh, support yeah. of your loved one, and not only uh, mentally, but physically as well, and uh, uh, spiritually, if they're in that 70 to 80 percent. Well, I know that you've also mentioned in regard to all of this, the importance of emotional venting. And so my question is, how can a caregiver emotionally vent without irritating people or 
Um, what do you, how, how do you do that to really let all your feelings out? It could be scary, you know, to a friend or a family member. And think, oh, my God, she's lost it, right? So how, how could you talk forthrightly as a caregiver and say, here's what I'm feeling and still it be okay in the environment of family, faith, and friends? Yeah, and I think that happens for two reasons. I think the caregiver feels that they don't want to be a burden uh, to their kids, to their family, to their friends. Yes. Uh, and, and also uh, they're, they're wondering, well, they're not probably interested in this as well. Uh, I must tell you, through uh, religious communities, faith communities, that is, and just uh, communities in general, uh, there are groups that get together. In fact, at um, the church that I go to, there's a caregiver group to support one another. Uh, it's a very trusting group. It's obviously a very empathetic group because they're all caring for uh, their loved one that have uh, a chronic problem, albeit it may be different uh, chronic problems. As we said, it could be cancer, could be aspects of dementia, it could be end-stage liver or kidney disease or heart disease. Uh, but nonetheless, the the trend is there that this is something that's not going to be cured, but we could still help them. Yeah. But helping ourselves to help them, I think, is a key point. Yeah. Yeah, and um, as you know, Dr. G, and this audience knows, I'm a big believer in the use of the arts. And um, before we came on air today, I was describing to Dr. G a, a project here in our community that's using theater uh, for caregivers. Um, and as we all know, if you're playing another part, right, if you're, you know, if you're a different character, then you can vent. You can do things if you're not yourself but another character and you're talking about how you feel. And and so that, the arts might also be a key way uh, through painting or music, you know, get in there and pound the piano really hard, right? Or get up on a stage or with a group of people and vent, as, you know, in a theatrical way might be some palliatives for caregivers. Uh, and you know, as I hear you say that, Marjorie, what I realize more and more is, is that whether it's the theatrical arts or the visual arts, it, it's something that people, caregivers in this case, do that really has components of not, not only mind but body, and I think the spiritual component as well. So it's a beautiful, holistic approach uh, as we think out loud about this. That's really, that's, I never thought of that in quite that way, the way you just said it, the holistic um, availability of the arts. That's really interesting. So now I have a what-if question that some of our audience members may be asking. What if a caregiver... Um, as a family cannot find palliative care in their community. What if, what if somebody listening today goes to their primary care physician and says, you know, this thing called palliative care, I think that might be useful for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it might help me and my loved one uh, gain more quality of life. And, and the primary care physician says, 
you know what? We don't have any of that here in this town. It's a little town. So then what? What 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 would that caregiver be thinking about and and maybe have as an option to uh, do? I would strongly, very strongly recommend if they have a computer, and I know many of us do nowadays, uh, that they look up this organization. Uh, I'll give you the abbreviation for short. It's okay. Cap CAPC, C-A-P-C. That's for the Center for the Advancement of Palliative Care. And there are a tremendous amount of resources on that website. Great. It's a national website. Resources that may uh, be proximitous to a small town. Mm -hmm. uh, resources that they could tap into through the Internet. Uh, resources that will include phone numbers and physical areas that they may be able to bring uh, themselves or their loved one too as, as well. So uh, I think if you're re re in a remote small area, this could be very help helpful, CAPSI. So if the, our audience Googles C-A-P-C, CAPSI, uh, they could get on this website. Beautiful. Tremendous resource. And you know, even we know that primary care physician probably knows a lot in that little community, but he or she might not be aware that in fact there are resources. So to go beyond the doctor, to um, to go, um, you know, yeah. and get on the internet, and you're going to may, maybe find resources. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Dr. G, we are headed toward the end yet again of, of one of uh, another wonderful show with you. Is there anything I haven't asked you about this? We've gone from, uh, just to summarize, from chronic caregiver who has been caring for, it's a chronic situation. Uh, we've given the example, Parkinson's, uh, a caregiver who's really dug in, who's uh, gotten more and more imbalanced. And then we've talked about how palliative care could help both that, that caregiver and their loved one um, be on a parallel track to a quality of life mm -hmm. and resiliency. And then we've talked about the three Fs, which are a great way, I think, to think about this, to hang strategies on those three Fs. And then we've looked at, well, what if there isn't such a thing? So. What beyond all of those haven't I asked you today? No, I think you did a beautiful summary of what our discussion was today. And I'm also, I think if I could say one point that I would like to echo to our caregivers, and we all know the phrase that no man is an island, right. but I would like to emphasize that no caregiver is an island. <laughs> yes, that's great. No caregiver is an island. You know, we that's a great topic <laughs> for another show, isn't it? That's great. No caregiver is an island. Well, I want to thank you very much for your wisdom, for your strategies, and for your absolute empathy for caregivers and their loved ones. Thank you. It's thank a you. pleasure being a part of it with you. And I want to remind our audience that there will be an archive of this show and something you could listen back to, share with your friends, it, in 30 minutes, I think, is a distillation, but a lovely distillation of what palliative care can do, particularly when you are in a chronic 
long-term situation and disease with your loved ones. So uh, please do look for that. And uh, so thank you all for tuning in today. And again, our thanks to eCareDiary.com. And we hope you all have a great rest of the day. Yes, enjoy this fall weather. Take care. Goodbye.